Welcome to church. We are so glad you're here. Some of you, this is your first time. Welcome. We are thankful that you're here with us. Would love to know that you're here this morning. You could do that by checking in. Whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, you can see the instructions on the screen or behind me. We'd love to know that you're here this morning. Whenever you do that, there's a place for prayer requests and a place to kind of let us know what's going on in your life. There's also a place where you can get the notes from the sermon and kind of all the weekly updates that are going on. So make sure you do that every week. We have two really important uh, announcements first today, right after this service and after third service. We have a baked ziti fundraiser. Now, we're raising funds because we're sending 60, 70 kids to camp this year. And it's, guys, it's like $400 to send a kid to camp. Isn't that crazy? But that's what it costs. So we're trying to, as a church family, come around families and help them be able to send their kids to camp. So if you come after this service, you can go to the gym. And you can sit down and eat in the gym, or you can take a box meal home with you of ziti. We're asking for each meal a suggested donation of five bucks. But we know some of you guys can help out more. And we know some of you don't like baked ziti. And so you can help out without buying the baked ziti and just drop an offering off. And so if you can help us send a kid to camp, it's about $400 a kid. Buy a $20 box of baked ziti. Buy a $50 box of baked ziti. Whatever the Lord. It'll be the best baked ziti you ate or didn't eat. And so if you can help us with that, that'd be amazing. We'll have that after this service and after third service. So we'd love for you to do that over in the gym on that side of the, of the other property. Second thing is this next week, we are excited to allow you to have the opportunity to meet Zach Burke. Zach is coming on as our discipleship pastor and he'll be here in view of the call next week. But next Saturday, you'll have a chance to meet him. Um, if you're a small group leader, you can come at 10. If you're uh, not, then come at 11. Come meet Zach and his wife. He's got two, three great kids. And so love for you to come meet them uh, next Saturday as they prepare to join with us in ministry here. Guys, we're so glad you're here. We're going to pray, ask God to bless this time. And so if you will, whether you're watching online or here in the room, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. God, we're so thankful for the rain, even though it's not fun this morning. But God, we know that just like you have a plan for the rain, you have a plan for each of us. And God, as we sit here in these seats this morning, we have the weight of the world. Whatever we brought into this room is on our shoulders. And God, we pray that, I pray that for every person in this room, whatever that burden is, whatever that pain is, that they be able to set that aside and worship you. God, we're so thankful for the gospel. We're so thankful that Jesus died on the cross for each one of us and that we have the ultimate hope found in him. God, as we worship this morning, may you get all the honor and the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good Sunday morning, church. It's great to see you today. Would you stand with us as we lift our voices and sing praise to our great God today? He is worthy of our praise. Let's sing it out. Sometimes you've got to dance through the darkness, sing through the fire, praise when it don't make sense. Sometimes you've got to stare down the giant, worship from the lion's den. Sometimes you've got to shout it from the mountain, louder in the valley, trusting that he's gonna get you there. Sometimes you've got to welcome the wonder, wait for the answer, worship with your hands in the air. I'll praise you anywhere. Praise, give him praise, give him praise, 
in the highest praise. Give him praise, give him praise in the highest Sometimes you've got to praise in the prison, cry out to heaven, shout until the doors swing wide. Sometimes you've got to stand on your shackles, brave in the battle, worship with your hands held high. I'll praise you anywhere. Praise, give him praise, give him praise in the highest praise. Give him praise, give him praise in the highest heat. Giving praise in the highest He is worthy. Yes, He is worthy of all of the praise. And He's faithful. Let's sing of His faithfulness. Here we go. Faithful all my life, blessings day and night, countless reasons why. I'll praise you anywhere, every promise kept, goodness every step, each and every breath. I'll praise you anywhere, faithful all my life, blessings day and night, countless reasons why. I'll praise you anywhere, every promise kept, goodness every step, each and every breath. I'll praise you, sing it out church, praise in the highest praise, give him praise, give him praise in the highest he is worthy, yes he is worthy of all of the praise. I'll praise you anywhere on mountains in valleys. I know that. Continue to worship. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came and he died and he rose. Those walls are up now. Remember those giants we called death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But he came and he died and he rose Those giants are dead now So we sing This is our God, this is who he is He loves us This is our God this is what he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim this is our God, King Jesus. 
Remember that fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could barely pray. But he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the wilderness tell the story of his Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh Who gets the glory and praise Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave
just to bow down before your throne. See your face, I'll cry out because you're holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are holy and you are worthy of all of our praise today. Lord, we give you all that we have. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise the name of Jesus in this place today. Amen. Would you please be seated? time of worship we've already had and uh, just a, a proclamation. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Bible says that every day, every minute, every moment, every hour, every second, there are groups of people that are surrounding the throne of God in heaven singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they stop that and they go, oh, wait a minute. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they just start over again and again and again and again and again. You know why? Because the holiness of God is not something that can be proclaimed in one moment. The holiness of God is something that has to be proclaimed every moment. And so in, in singing that just a moment ago, as you sang, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, another glimpse of glory, we sing once more. We're singing the holiness of God. And I just want you to know that in that moment, you are joining with the angels and the elders and those that are in heaven standing around the throne of God. You are just part of the chorus. Isn't it great? To know that you have the privilege of being able to, yeah, to, uh, to, to echo the sound of heaven. That is the sound of heaven. It is a proclamation of the holiness and the worthiness and the power of God. Y'all, that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but boy, what an awesome moment we've had already today. Hey, uh, today we're going to finish up this series that we've been in for quite a while uh, talking about uh, the gospel before Christ, the gospel BC. And so the idea is that we wanted you to see that the gospel, the message of the gospel, does not just start in the New Testament where we see Jesus. But the gospel, the message of the gospel, was something that was started way back in the Old Testament. And we've looked at Genesis, we've looked at uh, Exodus, we've looked at Leviticus, we've looked at some wonderful passages of scripture talking about where is the gospel. And today, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack there in front of you. It's on page 613, so I'll make it really easy for you to find. And I'll just tell you, we're going to spend some time in the Scripture today. So make sure you have a copy of God's Word uh, there in front of you. We've been answering this question over the last several months, over the last several weeks. We've been answering the question, what is 
the gospel? Like what is the message of the gospel? Boiled down to its kind of its bare bones, what is the message of the gospel? And I've given you the answer to that question each week. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, and we're going to do it one more time. We've been doing this for like seven weeks in a row. And so some of you are like, really, again? Listen, I'm going to go ahead and give you an opportunity. For some of you, this is your very first week here. We're so glad you're here. And so I'm not asking you to do this. But for some of you, you have seen the answer to this question so many times that it is time for you to test yourself. And so if you know the answer to this question, if you know where we're headed, you just close your eyes, all right? Close your eyes, and I want to see if you just test yourself. Can you tell me what is the message of the gospel? For those of you who have your eyes closed, for those of you that have your eyes open, we're going to say it all together. It's right there. Don't open your eyes if you're testing yourself. Here we go. The message of the gospel is that, out loud with me, Jesus lived a perfect life died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Raise your hand if you got it right. Raise your hand if you cheated. Raise your hand. Anyway, no, it's all right. Um, I'm just so glad that we have the privilege of being able to recognize that at its basis, the message of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin and rose again. One of the things that I wanted to do through this series as we talked about this is I wanted to make sure that you knew if you need to share the message of the gospel, if somebody comes up to you on the street and just, I mean, this would be weird, but if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, hey, tell me what the gospel is, that would be odd. But if they did that, I want you to have the answer. I want you to be able to say, well, my pastor actually preached a whole sermon series on this and was on it for like two months. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sin and he rose again. It's important that we get to see that. And we have seen that in lots of different things. We have seen that in the Abrahamic covenant. We have seen that in the uh, conversation between God and Adam and Eve and the serpent. We have seen that in the day of atonement. We have seen that in the story of Jonah in the belly of the fish. We have seen that in the picture of Passover. And today we're going to see it from Isaiah chapter 53. I will go ahead and tell you, Out of all the passages that I have preached in this series, this is the one that I almost don't need to connect for you. Like some of the things that we've talked about over the last several weeks, we would get through the sermon or get through the scripture and you would go, how's he going to turn that around? And then we would and you'd be like, oh, well, I see it now. But today, I promise you, you're going to be able to make the same connections that I make from Isaiah chapter 53. To get started though, I want to take you back to um, the year 1985. That was a couple of years ago. Some of you have no idea where I'm headed. 1985. Some of you though remember that in 1985 there was a movie that was released called Back to the Future. And you remember that you remember that movie. Some of you, even that were not alive in 1985, have seen that movie. It's a great movie. I remember watching that movie. In that movie, they go from 1985, they time travel in a DeLorean, which has its own problems. But anyway, they time travel in a DeLorean from 1985 to 1955 so that some things can be uh, worked out and fixed and this and that and Y'all, I'm just telling you, in 1985, so I remember watching that movie. I was, let's see, 1985, I was 11 years old. And I remember watching that movie, and I was like, watching it, 
And my brain started to explode. It was the first time that, my, that I had ever come into contact in a movie or a show with time travel. And so I started analyzing and thinking about, well, if they went to this and then they came back and they did this, and if that happened and if this didn't happen, if that kind of occurred or if that occurred, what about this? And if the movie didn't say this, but it talked about this, but I don't know what would have happened. If, and I, to this day, I don't really like movies or shows that deal with time travel because it just makes my head hurt. There were so many things about that movie that didn't fit or didn't work or, you know, plot holes and twists and things like that. So much so that four years later, they made Back to the Future 2 and they tried to fix all the plot holes of Back to the Future 1. And by that, they created a lot more plot holes. So then they came back a year later and they, they did Back to the Future 3, which was a terrible movie and nobody should ever watch it. That was where they went back to 1855. Anyway, some of you are going to go home this afternoon. You're going to watch all three Back to the Future movies because I brought them to your mind. And you're like, wow, those are really good movies. Two of them were. One of them was terrible. And it still made my brain hurt. The reason I say all that is Back to the Future was a fictional portrayal of time travel where somebody from the future got, uh, got or somebody from the future got uh, something from the past and something from the past affected what was in the future and everything just kind of worked together. And anyway, um, I say all that to say the book of Isaiah is a book of prophecy. What that means is that in about, 681 BC, 681 years before Christ, Isaiah writes these words. And when he writes these words, it is mind blowingly accurate to what happens to Jesus when he gives his life on the cross. So much so that I want to know if Isaiah had a DeLorean. No, I'm just kidding. Um, The reason it's so accurate is because God, in his immense knowledge and in his great sovereignty, put these words into Isaiah's pen and wrote these words of prophecy that clearly depict the life of Jesus. Isaiah throughout his book and I'm not we're not going to read all of the you know there's there's like 66 chapters of Isaiah. So I'm not going to read all of it to you today, but I just want you to see a couple of things in the book of Isaiah. Those 66 chapters, there are four places where he writes like this poetic picture of what have been come what have come to be known as his servant songs. Uh, let me give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, he writes this, these words. He says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Some of you might remember that when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the skies kind of split open and there was a voice that was heard from heaven where God pronounced over Jesus. He said, this is my son, my chosen. In him I am well pleased in whom my soul delights. That's just one example of a place where Isaiah wrote 
and Jesus fulfilled. There's another place in Isaiah chapter 49 where it says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That is a picture of prophecy that is still occurring today. The message of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus is a message that brings light into dark places. And we have the privilege of being able to see that that message is being spread to the end of the earth and it is still happening today. And then in Isaiah chapter 50, he writes these words. He says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This is a picture of the beating and the trial of Jesus. We see Isaiah write these things like 714 years before Jesus is crucified. And yet he is writing exactly what happens to Jesus. Listen, the book of Isaiah should blow our mind as much as any time travel movie or show that we've ever seen. Because Isaiah is insanely accurate. So what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at his fourth servant song. So this is Isaiah, 714 years before it happens, writing about Jesus. Crazy, isn't it? And yet, as we read through it and just walk through it, you're going to see that he is insanely accurate. Check it out. We're just going to kind of walk through. So if, if you have your Bibles, um, you, can, you can read with me. Where it'll be on the screen. But I just want you to, we're just going to walk through the Scripture today. That's what we're going to do. That's our, the bulk of our message today is just to walk through this Scripture. Let's look at verse 13 of chapter 52. So we're backing up just a few verses from the beginning of chapter 53. Look what it says. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, we can even just stop right there. Do you remember when Jesus came? One of the things that Jesus said to his followers, he said, I came not to be served, but to what? But to serve. And he said, in addition to that, and it's an explanation of that, he said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Just right here, he says, behold, my servant. And it would have been nice for Isaiah to write, behold, my king, behold, my conqueror, behold, my victor. No, he said, behold, my servant. Right there, a picture of Jesus. Verse 14, it says, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations quickly. This is a picture of Jesus at his crucifixion. If, if some of you have seen, and I know that some of you have, if some of you have seen the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I remember, I, can I just tell you, I've only watched that movie one time in my entire life. I only watched it once because I didn't need to see it again. I didn't want to see it again. It was so gruesome and so awful. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but that movie was rated R. And the reason for it was because of the violence that it depicts. Can I just tell you, though, the depiction of the punishment and mistreatment of Jesus that is depicted in that movie pales in comparison to what was real. What actually happened was even worse than what is depicted in that movie. 
He literally was marred and mistreated to the point of at the point that he finally laid on the cross, he did not even look human. His, the beating and the scourging and the mistreatment that he had experienced, he did not even look human. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. It's a picture of Jesus that, I, that Isaiah is writing. It goes on, he says, um, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. At the trials of Jesus, he stood before Pilate, and he stood before the high priest, and he stood before Herod. He stood before the rulers of the area and the rulers of the day, and they tried to question him, and they tried to catch him. They tried to trip him up. And yet at every question, his answers or his non-answer would silence them. They realized they had no reason to blame him. They had no reason to accuse him. They had no reason to mistreat him. Here we have a picture in Isaiah where he says, the king shall shut their mouths because of him. Chapter 53, it goes on, it says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. This is a picture of the fact that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would teach many things, and yet the people would listen to what he said, but they would reject it. They would go their own way. They didn't want to follow him. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to live their life their own way. Verse 2, it says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. This is a picture of the fact that Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, he, he showed up in a picture where really there had been very little voice from God. Until John the Baptist, which was Jesus' precursor, there was literally 400 years where heaven had been silent. 400 years. Y'all do realize that that's longer than the United States has been in existence, Right? 400, can you imagine having 400 years, no voice of God, no new revelation, no prophet speaking? You talk about dry ground. You talk about a parched land. And in that moment, Jesus appears like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, going on it says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him the picture here I know this might bother some of you but the picture here is that Jesus was not attracting people by the way he looked I know that some of you have seen the picture of Jesus the picture of Jesus where, you know, he's got these, this long, flowing, brownish, blonde hair. He's got blue eyes. Y'all, Jesus was Middle Eastern. He did not have long, flowing, brown hair and blue eyes. He was Middle Eastern. He came from a Middle East background. And this says that he actually was not much to look at. He was, not, he was not attracting people. He didn't look like Brad Pitt. 
Nobody was like, wow, let's follow that guy. No, it wasn't his looks that drew people to him. It was his message. It wasn't his looks. It was his cause. It wasn't his looks. He was not, it was not about, hey, look at me and follow me. He was, it was about listen to me and follow me. Hear me and follow me. Because you see, if it just would have been his looks, then on the day that he was crucified, everybody would have said, we don't want any more of that. Remember, because he was made to not even look human on that day. It was not his appearance that people would be drawn to him. Verse 3, it says, he was despised and rejected by men. I love this. It says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I love that idea that he was acquainted with grief. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of when Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, his friend. And Lazarus had been dead for four days at this point. And the Bible says that Jesus asked them to show him where they had laid Lazarus. And he stood at the grave, at the, at the tomb, at the mouth of the cave where Lazarus was laid to rest. Lazarus had died. And it says in that, it's two words, a whole verse, one of the easiest verses in Scripture to memorize. It says, Jesus wept. I love that. Because what that tells me in that moment, I, listen, Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that Lazarus was going to rise from the grave and come out of that grave. He knew that he was going to call Lazarus from death to life. But in that moment, in the death of his friend, Jesus wept. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that he is acquainted with grief. That tells me that in some ways he is looking at us and saying, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to show emotion. I think Jesus in this moment was making it so that we knew that he was acquainted with grief so that we would not be scared of our grief. So we would say, it's all right for us to feel and to have emotions. He, he goes on, he says, and as one from whom men hide their faces, even though he was acquainted with grief, even though he felt, even though he was kind and compassionate to people, it says that he was despised and we esteemed him not. Again, if we see the message of Jesus, what we see is that they said, yes, you grieve, but we still don't want anything to do with you. Verse four, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Even though Jesus took our pain, even though Jesus was willing to walk through the difficulty of this earth and the difficulty of this life, even though Jesus was willing to show his emotion and weep at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus even though, you remember when Pilate said, well, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? After Jesus had been accused, and tried, and Pilate said, I find, no, I find no wrong that he's done. I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to do anything. And, G, and, and Pilate said, I'm going to release one criminal to you. You're going to have Barabbas, the murderer and the thief, or you're going to have Jesus who's done nothing wrong. Which one do you want? They said, give us Barabbas. Pilate said, well, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? And in a loud voice, the crowd cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. 
We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5. It gets really serious here. But he was pierced for our transgressions. (laughs) He laid his hands and feet on the cross and he was nailed there, pierced through his hands and his feet. He was crushed for our iniquities. In the flogging of Jesus, he was literally battered and beaten for the sins that we had committed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He took the punishment for our sins and he paid the price. And with his wounds that he shed his blood, the blood of Christ that paid the price for our sins and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is a prophecy not only about Isaiah And not only about Jesus, but can we be honest with ourselves? This is a prophecy about me and you. How many of us would be able to raise our hand and say, yep, I've gone my own way. Yep, I've done my own thing. Yep, I'm kind of like a sheep that's gone astray. I've gone my own way, done things the way I want them to be done. I've lived my life the way I want to live them and not lived my life the way that God wants me to live them. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And check it out. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What? I should have to pay the price for my sins. I should have to pay the price for my, mis, uh, my, my wrongs. I should have to pay the price. I should be the one that's responsible. And yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all we talked about this last week where jesus was in the garden of gethsemane and he said father if it be possible let this cup pass from me what was in that cup it was the sins that all mankind had ever committed and in that moment he was saying let me be the payment let me bear the brunt of the punishment for their sins going on it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. At his trials, many of the accusations that were thrown at Jesus, he simply stood silent. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. So he, he was oppressed and he was judged, not because of anything that he had done, but because of everything that we had done. Check this out. It says, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? This is an insanely accurate and specific prophecy from Isaiah. Let me read it again. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? This is a picture of the fact that Jesus, the suffering servant, would not have children, would have no offspring. He was cut off out of the land of the living for his generation, stricken for the transgressions of my people. Check it out. And they made his grave with the wicked. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified? Was he crucified alone? No, he was crucified with two people on both sides of him, both Thieves, robbers, thieves. They were wrong. 
He died with the wicked, but, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. When Jesus was taken down off the cross, he was placed in a tomb that was borrowed from a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. Once again, the accuracy of Isaiah's prophecy, 700 years before this actually occurred. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The sins that he died for were not his, they were ours. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This, we got to stop here for just a second. Oh my goodness, did, did that just say that God's will was to treat Jesus like this? Why would God do such a thing? Well, it's actually pretty simple. The reason God would do such a thing is because he loved you and I so much that he knew that the only solution to our sins was in Jesus and the death that he would die on the cross. It was not the will of God to punish Jesus. It was the will of God to redeem us by the punishment of Jesus. When his soul, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Check this out, though. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Wait just a second. Didn't we just a moment ago, ago say that he was not going to have any kids? How can, he, how can he see his offspring if he doesn't have any kids? You and I are his offspring. We are his kids. We are the children of God. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. We are co-heirs with him. We stand with him. So the beautiful thing is that he was not given children while he lived on this earth, but he was given children in us that believe in him. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He lives eternally. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What God wanted to do, he did through Jesus. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. There will come a time when the Messiah will realize that even his punishment paid the price for our sins so that we could have a place in heaven. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He He paid the price for our sins, not us. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. To the, you've probably heard this before, to the victor goes the spoils. The spoils of war belong to those who win the war. Guess who won the war in this moment? It was Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he poured out his soul to death on the cross and was numbered with the transgressors, Jesus was our transgression. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Oh my goodness, right here at the end, we see a picture that Jesus in his death, he has ascended to the Father, sits down at the right hand of the Father, and we will learn in the New Testament that he literally makes intercession for us. He continually over and over is sitting before God, praying for us, praying, God, forgive them. God, I paid the price. God, the sacrifice was made. When I died on the cross, I died for them. Oh my goodness. I mean, this, this is not back to the future. This is the Bible. In 700 years before Jesus ever accomplished these things, Isaiah writes these words. I told you. 
I don't have to do a lot of work to connect this with the gospel. Here we have in Isaiah a prophecy that leads us to understand that Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins and rose again. So therefore, I can put my faith in him and trust him. I have three quick things that I want to share with you and then we'll be done today. Just as a point of summary. Number one, Jesus did what it took to get to you. Jesus was willing to give his life on the cross. Why? Because of you. Because he knew that that was the only way he did what it took. He was willing to go through the punishment. He was willing to endure the anguish. He was willing to feel the pain. He was willing to take on the sins of the world. Why? Because of you. Because he loves you that much. Because he cares for you. Because he knew that there was no way that you could pay the price for your sin. So, Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to. He paid the price. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. When we sin, it is a separation from God, which is a spiritual death and a physical death. When we, when we go against God's will, when we make choices that are not pleasing to God, it puts a separation between us and him. It is a picture of death. We are disconnected from the one who gives life. The wages of sin is death. You can't pay that price. You can't. So Jesus paid it. Jesus died your death. Jesus paid your price. Jesus on the cross shed his blood so that you would be forgiven. Jesus paid the price. The end of that verse, by the way, says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, yes, okay, so I've got to pay death. Oh, wait a minute, there's a free gift. It's a free gift of life, of eternal life, that only comes through Jesus Christ. He did what it took to get to you. He paid the price so that you wouldn't have to. And honestly, he is our only hope for salvation. Friend, you cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot live your life well enough. There is no such thing as you trying to make it so that you're acceptable to God. The only way that you have a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God, the only way that you have eternal life in heaven is by asking Jesus to come and to be your Savior. Trusting him, accepting him, asking him into your heart. There's no more important decision that you can make and to follow Jesus as your Savior. I got a call yesterday 
that one of our church members this past week passed away after a fairly long battle with sickness. I talked to this family member, also a church member, and she said, well, mom, mom passed away last night. Can I tell you something? While there is sadness, there were no tears. Do you know why? Because while her life on this earth might be over, she's reunited with her husband who died about 10 years ago. She's in heaven. And the Bible says it this way. She can't come back to be with us, but we can sure go to be with her. Friend, there's no more important decision that you can make in this life than to trust Jesus as your Savior. It is the most important decision you can ever make. It is the seal for your eternity. It is the key to heaven. So if you've not done that, what are you waiting for? He did what it took to get to you. He paid the price so you wouldn't have to. And your only hope to be saved is to have Jesus in your heart, in your life, as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for challenging us today. Thank you for the beauty of the Bible. Thank you for the prophecy of Isaiah that shows us Jesus. And God, I just pray in these few moments that we have left that you would show us what we need and that we would trust you that we would believe in you that we would put our faith in you Holy Spirit work in these moments work in our hearts and let us truly believe in you As you continue to pray, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to today's message. You may be here because a friend invited you, or maybe you just kind of wandered in. Maybe you're here every week, and that's awesome. But for whatever reason you're here, I really believe that God has you here maybe for this next moment. Friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus... If you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that he is only a prayer away. He has done all the work. All you have to do is ask him. So if you would like to pray to receive Christ today, if you've never done that, if you've never truly put your faith in him, but you want to right now, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I would love to lead you in a simple word of prayer of asking Jesus to be your Savior. If you've never done that, just so I know who I'm praying with, would you just, in the quietness of the moment, just slip your hand up in the air? I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. I want to do it right now. Awesome. Anybody else? This is your moment. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want him to be my savior. Anyone else? So cool. Yes, amen. Anyone else? 
I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. Awesome, bud. Anybody else? This is your time. Not going to hold you much longer. I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. Yes, amen. Anyone else? If you're one of those who raised your hand or maybe for whatever reason you just couldn't quite raise your hand but you know that you need to ask Jesus into your heart, I just want to leave you in a simple word of prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that save you. It's the truth of what's going on in your heart. And so I'm just going to leave you in a prayer. We, here we don't believe anybody should pray alone, so just all around this room, there are going to be people that are going to support you as we're all just going to pray these words out loud. Everyone, would you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I know that the only way for me to be forgiven is to receive you into my heart. So Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. And help me to live for you. From this point on, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, all around this room, there are people that just prayed to receive Christ. Is that not a phenomenal moment? What an awesome thing. If you were one of those who raised your hand, we would love to talk with you. At the end of our service, we're going to be down here at the front. We would love to talk with you about kind of that next step as a new believer. We're so proud of you. We're so excited about what God's doing in your life. And we would love to help you answer any questions you might have about what it means to truly follow Jesus in your life. As we, uh, as we close our time together today, though, I, I just want to say this next song that we're going to sing is such a powerful song about what Jesus did for us on the cross, about the blood that he shed for us and the power that his blood has in our life. And so let's stand together and let's sing as we close our time. Sing. Here and now I draw a boundary Against every weapon that's formed The thief and his plans will pass over When he sees the red on the door I plead the blood I plead the blood 